Welcome to Spin It, where the worst of times can become the best of times. I'm your host, Stephanie Malik, an award-winning crisis management expert and business consulting strategist. Along with my team of experts at S. Malik Enterprises, I have worked with thousands of high-wealth individuals and businesses over the last 25 years to create customized approaches for crisis management and business consulting to ensure they take their careers, relationships, and companies to the next level. On Spin It, we pursue purpose and passion, aspiring to uncover the true story behind every guest's successes and failures, removing the mystique behind what it takes to be truly successful from those that have actually done it. I'm chatting with executives and entrepreneurs all over the globe to understand how they turned obstacles into opportunities to grow not only themselves, but their businesses. I want to impact and inspire you and as many people as possible, not by blurting out the same old motivational phrases, but with the truth and authenticity behind real success, along with the roadmaps and methodologies it takes to get there. Whether it was a scandal, a broken business model, or simply navigating the noise, we want you to learn from our mistakes. It's all in how you spin it. Today, we'll be speaking with Paul Rogers. Paul is a phenomenal keynote speaker, public speaking coach, and an Amazon bestselling author, publishing three books in the self-help genre. To say he has had an incredible journey would be an understatement. He is a train crash survivor and is an advocate for dealing with traumatic brain injury, CPST, PTSD, and mental health. Paul Rogers' main passion and purpose is raising awareness through sharing his own life experiences. With over 20 years of professional experience, Paul had not one, not two, but four successful careers. Commercial lawyer, kite surf instructor, entrepreneur, and owner of an international kite surfing school. Welcome to the show, Paul. Thank you so, so much for joining. I am so excited to have you on Spin It. I could not think of a better, more fun, more appropriate person than you. And this is going to be really exciting. So thank you so much for joining. It's my pleasure. And, you know, really the name of the show, I'm expecting some big things on this. So uh, I know you're going to be able to capably walk me through the next 45 minutes. So the very first thing I want to talk about, obviously, you know about the show and the show is turning obstacles into opportunities. We all know that certain people consider obstacles to be different than you and I necessarily think of them. I'm talking obstacles, big ones, giant ones. And I know not too long ago, you went through a massive, massive obstacle that changed your life forever. Can you talk to me about it? Yes. It was kind of more like the obstacle going through me, to be honest. Um, It was just to give some light on that. My family three years ago, my wife, my two-year-old and myself and my beautiful great white husky Malumut, we were driving back from picking my son up from daycare in March, 19th of March, uh, when we drove over an unmanned railway crossing when a train hit the car and ran over the top of the car with us in it. So as you can imagine, that was a catastrophic. I mean, even if you could now just close your eyes and imagine the sound, the sound of that. And also, which always breaks my heart, being very open here, is the fact of I wasn't able to hear my two-year-old crying for mummy and daddy to wake up. And so he was all alone in the middle of a smoldering mess. And we were both 
completely unconscious. We were the uh, when we were on our way to the hospital. I now know from having some of the uh, notes released that actually I passed four times. And when we were arrived at the hospital, I was given a seven percent. The question is. Why 7%? Why not 5 or 10? Why don't you just round it up? No, no, it's definitely a 7. I mean, was that sort of someone marked it and held up a board? You know, a 7 for him, it's uh, it's a bit like diving when you get to the point where they where they jump off the board. Well, I you know, I don't think that was particularly grand enough. Let's give him a 7. Um, That's anyway. hysterical because that was actually my next question. I was like, 7? <laughs> What's with that question? Like 7? I have a 7% chance. Okay, great. Yeah. Which, you know... I'd like to know what happens to the other 93%. Um, and if I ever got 93% in an exam, I would be over the moon. Um, so I never did get that 93%, which is another way in that you can fail your way to success. People get very, very hooked up on numbers, report cards. That was just a snapshot of how you were at that precise time. And that's why people, oh, I need to get back to my inner child. My inner child was looking out the window at something and getting told off. And on my report, it said, Paul would be really good if he paid attention more. Just imagine what Bill Gates has once said there, Elon Musk. He, they were the people who looked out the window, who then carried on looking out of the window, like Richard Branson. He just fulfilled a boyhood dream of being the man in space. I just, it's actually interesting that you you talk about that, Paul, because I actually just read an article. Um, it was a very short op-ed and somebody said, hey, what do you do when your fear gets in the way of your dreams? Like, how do you process that? Like, because I mean, his dream, we all know his dreams are massive. Like they're not like small things, they're huge. And he does have a family and he does have children. And he does have grandchildren. He does have responsibility to a lot of people. But it actually is very interesting to me how he responded because he said, the fear is always there for me. He said, it's just moving through it. And he, he does it. He, he was very clear. He said, I do it through downtime with my family. He said, I do it through a lot of vigorous exercise. He said, sometimes I call people that know me really well. And, you know, I do almost like a fear validation. Those are my words, not his. And then he goes, and then I move to the dream. He's like, I don't table the dreams. He's like, I go out and I actually explore them. And dreams don't have a timeline. He's like, so I have dreams when I was six and seven, eight years old that I'm starting to fulfill right now, which is impeccable for me. Well, it's like trying to say, do you think sending a man to the moon was a smart goal? There is nothing specific, measurable, attainable, timely. They didn't even have the technology. So what did they do? They built it. They created it. That is what actually built that dream. It's not a smart goal. And I came across something for that because fear is kind of like the topic at the moment. And um, but I and I know as soon as I say this, people are going to go, well, F-E-R means this. For me, I found this definition, which I really like, which is for everything, a reason. And that is how I define the fear. And that's why people, they do, when they say, oh, he's an adrenaline junkie, that just means it's the buzz between pushing through the fear and finding the elixir on the other side. And that, the middle is always messy. In any business transaction, in anything you do, if you focus on the mess in the middle, you're gonna land there. I used to be a kite surfer. I, for those of you who are in audio land, 
I've got dreadlocks and look like a washed up hippie, but that's fine. <laughs> that <laughs> but, would not be what I would do. You're kind. You have to spot the landing point. And the landing point is where you focus all of your attention because people say, oh, I like to jump. There's nothing wrong with the jumping. It's the coming down you have to worry about. It's the, the going up is fine. So you have to spot and stick your landing. And there's so many people get caught up with the bit in the middle that they never actually spot where they're going to land. So they never reach that point. And the good thing about sports, it has so much application in every area of our life, business, personal. And that's why we're not two-dimensional people. We're not, we're not plants photosynthesizing. So we actually are three-dimensional with three-dimensional problems. So great, great point. Here's a funny thing that I want to bring up. So our family is a giant sports family. They're a huge, huge sports family. So I often use sports analogies with clients because they work. They understand, people understand football. They understand basketball. They understand, they understand. And it actually is very funny because recently I used a sports analogy to somebody who I really was trying to connect with and really kind of make a point. And they were so blank. They were like, wait, what? They had no idea. So then I changed sports. I just was like, okay, that that's fine. They're not a basketball person. Um, we we're talking about point guard and what's their number one job and things like that. And having this whole conversation, Paul, it was hysterical. I moved to football blank. <laughs> nothing. I was like, okay, let's focus on music. Let's talk about that. So, so you're completely right. It really does usually kind of fall into a great analogy for most people because you have to figure out where you're landing. Yeah. And, and that is also the skill of being able to actually take a complex problem, but be able to describe it in a way that somebody gets it. I, I used to be a lawyer many moons ago and I was always criticized by my partners not being very lawyerish because I would speak the same as I to to a CEO as I spoke to a mechanic. It didn't matter. I may use different analogies, but if they left my office understanding what I'd said, that was, as far as I'm concerned, that was it. And you don't have to mystify stuff. There is no, using long words and all that sort of stuff, one Nobody cares. Secondly, no one understands. So actually they say, yeah, I went to see Paul. I didn't have a clue what he's saying. People may say that already because I have a British accent. And uh, so um, those of you, um, there will be a closed subtitles underneath. <laughs> um, In many different very, languages. <laughs> yeah. But it's very important that actually you find that right connection with somebody so that they get it on their level, not the level you think they need to get it at. So I want to I want to further develop this point, but then I want to go back to the accident. Okay, so in talking about this, you're right. And one of the biggest things that I've done throughout my business career is really exactly that. Engagement for me is so incredibly important. Building that connection. People talk about it now as I don't know, like the no like trust thing. 
I just feel like it's just being human. Like it's just actually engaging, looking at somebody when they're speaking to you, not touching your phone and getting completely distracted. You know, we talked about, we talk about all, all the time, Paul, one of the biggest things is what is your presence? So how do you show presence when so many of us aren't even present? And that's really difficult. So I, I think that that's such a valuable lessons to, to the listeners is speaking to people and engaging with them, talking to them at their level, speaking to them, conversing, and actually having dedicated time where you're actually paying attention and looking at them. That's one of the things that we've talked about before is, is listening. Like I don't listen to respond. I listen to understand. I listen because I want to understand your journey. I want to understand what you've gone through. I want to learn from you. Ultimately, I want to continue being a constant and curious student no matter what I do. So I feel like sometimes that some people are a little bit disappointed with my response after I've listened for a very long time. But I am not listening. I'm not waiting for you to finish. I'm actually really trying to understand who you are, how you got here, what I can take away and learn from the conversation and build normalcy and connection for us to move forward in our relationship or networking or or whatever type of, of relationship we're building. You know, people, and this will never change no matter how much social media there is, people do business with people they like. And the only way you can, you can't, Maybe you can go on a course to be likable. I think that's pretty difficult, but you can relate to people. And I think that is where the real magic is. I was not mostly the best lawyer, but I was the person they understood. When I had the commercial agents, when they rang, I didn't think, oh my God, there's an agent, I go away, you're only interested in your fee. I got into talking to them, explaining what it is because... I wanted them to be on my side. I wanted them to help me. And once I started giving them the tools to do so, I could actually almost delegate that part to them because I said, do you remember when we did it with so-and-so? And they're like, yeah, we're going to do that. That was actually bringing somebody who was potentially an obstacle and nuisance to most lawyers into something which actually was a huge ally. And as a, as a result of that, they sent me all their work because they said, actually, we get what he says. We, If he says, can you go and do something? And that was how the trust was built. It's the most important thing, Paul. I mean, I, I can tell you in being doing business for 25 years, I can tell you from, from the deals at 22, 23 years old to the deals at 40, okay? You remember the type of coffee that they like and you walk in with the type of coffee that they like. You remember their wife or their children's name or you remember, I, I recently just remembered that that a client I've had for a really long time, I remember his son was getting ready to take off and was on a lacrosse scholarship. And it's been two, three, four years, like it's been forever. And I remembered and he, he stopped, he stopped and he completely stopped. And he was like, how did you remember that? And then I was like, oh, well, you know what? My boys play lacrosse as well. And we kind of walked through it, but it just, it's a continuous bond and just remembering and seeing somebody for who they are. Again, I just think it's a presence thing and, and staying present and staying connected to, to humans. We all need that so much right now. I agree. And being present now, because people say, oh, you know, I'm present. Well, you know, some people, if you turned on a, on a torch next to their ears, it would come out of their eyes. And uh, so being present isn't sitting there and thinking, be present, be present. Being present is just actually relaxing, enjoying where you are, enjoying whatever you're doing, enjoying the conversation, even if it is a very difficult conversation for people to have. Right. 
And, and also too, pausing in the silence. So the other thing that I've found so many times, especially dealing with, with, you know, maybe like some, like the millennial group, they're very uncomfortable and get very nervous around silence. So like the natural pauses that we would take or like, you know, Paul, if we're, if we're in a meeting together and you ask me a question, you know, I might take a step back and run a couple different scenarios in my head. It's not because I'm not being present, but they are so, they immediately have to start fidgeting or they immediately start to look through something because their time and attention is not being completely 100% captivated. So getting comfortable in the silence and getting really super comfortable with becoming uncomfortable. Absolutely. I mean, my negotiation, when I used to do the commercial negotiation, my biggest, my biggest weapon in my toolbox was silence. I could sit there at the beginning of a meeting and yes, it is uncomfortable, but it's going to, they're going to blink first. And then they just run in, they disengage and they just like run into what they think. So Potentially, I'd get maybe eight of my 10 points and I hadn't even uttered a word. And then <laughs> is it psychological? Yes, but actually, it take that just that pause there. People are curious now. What what what's going on? What's he thinking? And it's that time there where you actually think, well, I'm not gonna run the BS, because people are super aware to BS. Oh my goodness, you know. There's this great phrase, no one suffers fools gladly. I'd like to meet the person who does suffer fools gladly because um, I've never met he or she. If you're able just to sit back, pause. See, now now people are starting to go, well, I think he needs to say something. It gives you breathing time. And if you want to have a presence that can't help but actually bring the focus back to you because they're like, oh, well, he's gone beyond what normal, which is only a millisecond, actually. But a fascinating. I, I mean, this whole thing, and this will, you know, as a, a final point on this silence thing, silence is the universal, uh, the language of the universe. Mic drop. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I agree with you. So silence, especially around negotiating, I use silence a lot in, in negotiating, but I also use silence a lot in calming clients down. So they usually come in highly agitated. They usually come in with, you know, a list of things that they need to process and get through. And I, I mean, I take the list. I'm very respectful. I take the list. I, I want to understand. I want to understand where they're coming from. I want to understand their pain. I want to understand their journey of what got them there. But it's, you don't hire me to join in on your chaos you hire me to calm things down. You hire me to move through this journey much differently. And so oftentimes I am silent and I actually start off by saying that. Don't look for a ton of responses from me today. Right now I'm just gathering information. I want to take it all in. I really want to focus on where you are and what your best outcome can be. But there's a lot of silence in that. And you see them, you, you see them move across the table and they kind of start like leaning in and they're like, do, do, do you need an explanation on that? Or, you know, hey, and I was like, I actually have it, but thank you, you know, thank you so much. I don't want to be a part of the chaos. I want to be a piece of the solution. I don't want to add to the noise. And I really find that that's some of the things that you do so well in moving through this journey. So getting back to the accident, your obstacle was crushing, not only for you, but for your entire family and for your career and for everything else. 
But in three short years, you've turned it into a massive, massive opportunity. Tell me some of the things that have changed. Tell me some of the things that have changed for your family and your outlook and your values and your process and your business. Absolutely. And the word crush is actually very, very relevant. When I eventually did wake up, uh, I didn't know who I was for a, a long time. I also didn't know if I had a family left or not. They could have be gone. And I couldn't walk. Hard to believe, but I couldn't talk either because my mouth had been smashed shut, which I think the medical profession were quite happy at the time. And so, at but, least your uh, wife might have been. <laughs> exactly. Like, oh, yeah. Please, can we have that back? Um, <laughs> so, I had to relearn all of that. People talk about paradigm shifts and things like that. My paradigms got eliminated. My life was eliminated. I've done a lot of work on myself and I realized that actually I have died whilst I'm alive. And I listened to Wayne Dyer and he says that if you die while you're alive, and it doesn't have to be physically, but it can be emotionally, spiritually, you suddenly become free. You suddenly break out of that. You are... People say, oh, yeah, you're a, you know, the, the, you're a bird. But if they live in a cage, you're still, you know, you can fly around that cage. You're still in a cage. And so that was a very big shift. And, and also something had changed. And I knew and I still know I have a mission. And the beautiful thing I now feel I am doing is that I am both living in my purpose and I'm also fulfilling what I am passionate about as well. So what is my purpose? My purpose in this world, until I, and the world has tried very hard to remove this from me, but is to raise awareness for people. Now, you have to be aware to have awareness. And so when you can look at that sort of chicken and egg situation, that is what I do. I do that by using the platform such as a podcast. I have a podcast which is called Release the Genie. So it's kind of the same type of theme. I have a public speaking course, which is Find Your Voice. Again, very much on what I believe is the most powerful thing we can give to another human being and society is your story. But not only the story, but what did you learn and how are you applying it now? Because lessons are all very well until you learn them. And if you don't learn them, they tend to come back round until you do learn them and they come round noisier. So spotting that lesson, spotting the opportunity, making a decision, simple decision in every second we have, am I going to be a victim today or are you going to be a victor? Your choice. Falling down is not your choice getting back up is. So <clears throat> without being super cliche, because one of my most frustrating things is when they say, oh yeah, I almost lost my life and it was such a blessing. Okay. I don't, <laughs> I just, I just can't do that. I no, just can't. I, I think, I think I need to introduce them to my little world on that. And then they can tell me that was a blessing. <laughs> right. Right. I just, I mean, I understand that it changes, like you said, paradigm shift. I understand that it changes perspectives. I understand it puts priorities into place. I, I get that. But you were a very successful corporate lawyer. You were a very, very successful business person. You saw things completely differently. 
do you, since the accident, do you remember aspects of law? Do you remember, has it affected your memory? Could you go back and practice today? And how did your law experience help you in what you're currently doing? There is nothing which has actually gone away. Long distance stuff such as law, I can, I mean, I can recite stuff to you now, but that's because actually I paid attention to actually understanding it. My, I had a, my dear friend of mine, he used to ace every exam. You know, you get and in the nineties. I would I would work my balls off, and I'd get if I if I got a sixty percent, I was over the moon. He used to ring me up when we were both trainees from the toilet, and this because he was working in a big firm. You're like, what's the answer to this? And I was like, well, yeah, we we studied that. He said, I can't remember that. So it's a question of actually paying attention and the way you break down a problem the way you conduct yourself, rather than jumping, as you said, jumping into the hurricane with people, being able to be detached. And like, oh, I didn't know you could get that. Well, <laughs> I'm just not running around in your dance. So for me, it's an obvious thing, but for you, you're too close. So that has actually kept me, that forensic type mind. And also, I've always enjoyed having fun. And really, and I've always kept myself to this and will continue to do so. If I'm not having fun doing something, I won't do it. It's as simple as that. People are all really surprised when I say I'm going to quit because I've made the decision I'm not having fun. And they, oh, yeah, yeah, everyone says that. And then they do. And they're like, oh, I didn't think you meant it. And I said, well, <laughs> if I'm not having fun anymore, what's the point? Right. Well, again, we've talked about this before. So you have, for me, I have to be learning and growing exponentially. Like not, not something where I'm just like, oh, I read that book. Oh, I took four or five pages away. But I mean, like almost like a spiritual shift or like a, a, a like a, a, you know what? Not maybe spiritual is not the right word. A behavioral shift. Oh, I saw this completely differently. One of the things that I just recently talked about on a podcast was education. So. Um, I have two kids and they have a few different learning disorders. And so um, one, I believe it was Mark Bowden was talking to me about his dyslexia and he was talking about how much harder he had to work in order to like embody those tests and get those answers correctly. And that he, his brain was like constantly working. And I told him, I said, there were so many times where a doctor said to me, cause I was like, gosh, my kids come home at two 30 or three o'clock and they like pass out. And he goes, imagine a clutch completely pushed in. And he goes, and the gas a thousand percent down. And he's like, you're not going anywhere, but you're still using the same amount of gas. And I was like, oh, wow, that really, that really just clicked for me. So as we talk about these things, Paul, when we talk about like obstacles into opportunities and you shed perspective and you shed light on how you were thinking before, how you're thinking now, your perspective before wasn't, I mean, you've always been, everything I've learned about you, it's always been like, you've always wanted to have fun. You've always wanted to grow and you've always wanted to learn. I just think it's on a much different level now. I, I, I totally agree. And I've learned actually the hard way um, that you can you can be alert to opportunities. This is something which I, when I, on my public speaking platforms, I use to really hammer home the whole opportunity adversity. My beautiful white husky Malumut 
the firefighters told us um, later on that um, on the impact of the accident, he jumped over the back seats from the trunk or boot, if where I come from, onto my wife and two-year-old. And if he hadn't have done that, they would have uncertainly been killed on impact. He gave his life to save my wife, who only had a broken tooth. I had a broken neck, smashed back and, and, and skull. So imagine if that hadn't happened. So why I tell this is not for the sympathy, it's to show that even in the depths of the the most destructive trauma, the, the you know something so dark and 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 explosive, that there is always a story of beauty, love, compassion, at that same moment. And if you are just able to spot that, and if you spot that, that's where the opportunities are come. And they don't come with a sign wrapped around the neck saying, "Hey, I'm an opportunity." You actually. They usually come wearing the clothes of a painful ending, a destructive event. That's not me being unrealistic. That's actually me being perceptive. And it's that perception which will change every act then that follows. Okay, so that is amazing about the dog. And I know that that was one of the very first things that you told me and that I shared with with uh, m- many people that, that I'm close with. That's, I mean, like you said, that's the ultimate sacrifice. And thank goodness for your wife and for your little one. Talk to me about career now. So I know you've written some books and I know that I've referred people over for your amazing speaking course. And I want to talk about the books and what your purpose is right now. So what's your kind of role for the next, you know, three to five years? And then I want to get into your most favorite thing in the entire world, which is very, very difficult, hard, rapid fire questions. Oh, (laughs) I have my finger on the buzzer ready. (laughs) um, You're like, woo, got to (laughs) go. Yeah, exactly. Oh, is that the time? (laughs) Um, What's in the, the moment? I, do you know what? Opportunities, stuff looking for them, they keep finding me now. And it's not because I'm actually anything special. It's just things just turn up and it feels right. It goes with the flow. So the books, that was good at the beginning. And actually, I didn't, I kind of what they call channel. I didn't understand it at the time. And there was actually five of them. I published three, self-published. And I wrote under the name of Kate Summers. Now that's a whole different question, and we can we can talk about that. But now I'm being brave enough to start putting my name there too. It's actually one and the same, and it's called the White Wolf Way. And what it was is effectively my love letter to my very brave dog, and telling things like self compassion, how to actually attain better habits not always measuring up to perfection, be comfortable in imperfection, be comfortable in vulnerability. And I use it for using the two wolves' tail, the black, dark wolf and the white wolf. So rather than just a shopping list of, hey, you need to do this, 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 it's a lot better to actually tell as a story. That's how we've been brought up as a story. And that's why I want And I do that for free. I gave them away for free because I want them to the awareness. Now, don't worry, I'm not completely la la um 
Woo-woo. Woo-woo. <laughs> hey, I've got an excuse. I've got a bang on the head. So, <laughs> so um, <laughs> there, you know, at the moment, I am very much involved with the my health journey and my recovery, which has taken a massive turn in the last few weeks. And that's really been down to taking back responsibility, not allowing the medical profession to dictate. They've had three years of my life to do this. It's now my turn. And already the symptoms and things have changed because I am doing it. I'm not saying that the medical profession are wrong, thank goodness, because otherwise I wouldn't be here. But now it's my turn. Now it's my turn that I actually, I make some decisions for me. They've kept me alive. Now it's my turn to fly. And that is entirely where I'm at. And I've got such big plans I want to I want. I would like, and this, that's not my ego talking. This is, I would, because actually what my goal is, is to reach and touch and inspire and make people feel better, not just some rah-rah speech, but actually better, even at a cellular level with products I'm currently using and they're working for me. But to reach more people, if I suddenly got a boatload of money that would just mean that actually I could help people in better ways because I have better platforms to do it on. So that's my mission, and uh, that's what I'm going to stick to. And if that doesn't work out, I'm sure McDonald's are hiring. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You might have to cut the dreads. I don't think oh, that's well, an yeah, option. Well, yeah, I certainly have to tuck that up in a net, which would be really awkward. <laughs> I want to see that net because that would have to be massive. It's like a fishing net. <laughs> okay, so again, consummate connector, absolute passion and purposeful human being that you are. I love that. But there is a very serious and significant business person under there as well. Yeah. You can take Paul out of the law, but not the law out of Paul. And I'm cool with that because it allows me to sit and watch people from a that kind of perspective. So I can listen to them, I can hear them, and I just go back into that training lawyer mode. Or the, And I think anyone who's been in business or done anything like that, that's kind of where their default setting is. And I love that. I love that that actually is something. And everyone who's listening, the CEOs and, and everything else, you have got skills which don't just stay in one part of your life. And that is something you may have been taught, oh, well, they're non-transferable. That's nonsense. They're you, you know, you, and that's part of you. And you people say, oh, you're the person I need to speak to in a problem. That's not by accident. That's because of you. So, um, yeah, it's kind of nice because actually I can hide behind I'm a beach dude and know nothing. And people then who don't know me talk to me at that level. And I'm like, yeah. Yeah, and, and I'm not disrespectful. I just listen to what they're saying, and uh, okay. Yeah, that's a, it's an interesting perspective you have, even when you're talking about talking to others. So you know, talking to a janitor or a CEO or a middle level manager or a VP, in talking and speaking to people and connecting with them, you can connect at all different aspects. Which is kind of some of the the questions I wanted to just quickly shoot off to you because I know we're running out of time. Self-awareness is, so you know that we teach a course on EQ and engagement and self-awareness and and what does that mean? And one of the things that's really interesting, Paul, is this has really come up so much in the last six months. What is EQ? What is self-awareness? How do you self-regulate? What is self-actualization? 
And it's funny because when I talk about it, people are like, oh my gosh, that is so, and I'm like, what? That's just like a very normal thing. And, and it's, it's, it's actually, I will, I will be very, very transparent. It's, it's gotten a bit daunting for me because when I talk about it and I talk about like having compassion and engagement for your fellow humans and, and sitting with them and, and understanding what empathy looks like. And, and then I get the question, how do you develop empathy? And I get these questions. And, and for me, it's, it's like you were mentioning earlier, it's not rote memory. It's something that's so inculcated into me as a human being on showing empathy and compassion and learning and growing. My question is this, right now, as you see all of these younger ones coming up, influencers or entry-level positions, and you see them coming up, they're coming up strong through LinkedIn, they're coming up strong through Instagram. You see this a lot. And there's some really amazingly intelligent younger ones. What do you tell them? What's their, not so much life lesson, because that's a whole two or three other podcasts. What's their business lesson? What's the one thing that you tell them? Make sure you, or make sure you don't. What is that lesson? First of all, I've had a sneak peek at your courses, and I think they are just awesome. I think that there's so much in there, which is the way you tell it. And actually, there's so much in there, which I think is of maximum value. And I love the idea of having more presence and and being able to actually feel actually confident behind that mask which everyone wears. Because the problem is, if it's only skin deep, it's only skin deep. So the lesson when I used to tell this to my lawyers when I used to get them, I used to, they come out of university and they sort of knew everything. Like, exactly, exactly. And you can't talk to them. You can't tell them anything because they're they they. I mean, they're fresh and they're ready to go and they're gung ho. Yeah, and they're, they're hot shots. You know, they're they're, they're like you know, oh, yeah, I'm going to do this. I know everything. And the first thing I would tell them, and I always tell them, is that you need to recognize that you are not the smartest person in the room. Because if you think you're the smartest person in your room, I never, even now, when I walk in a room, I never ever, and if I start thinking it, then that means I'm in the wrong room. Because I want to learn. The minute you feel that you don't need to learn anything is the minute you're done. And so I would say to them, I said, yeah, okay, you may be closer to what the law is. You may know that better, but I'm going to blow your mind with how you actually apply it. And that is what is missing. Some people call it soft skill. I don't think there's anything soft about it. I just, I, I think actually it'd be better to call them essential skills. And that is what gives you the presence, not going in and being able to regurgitate some facts. People don't care. People don't want that. They want to know what's the answer. Well, I can give you this. I don't care what that is. What's the answer? And that's where they start to unravel. And so that's why not being the smartest person and being comfortable with that. Right. I, I use that as a badge. Um, I, I really, I really truly do. Like, so my kids, they can turn on technology so much faster than I can. They can get to integrating so much faster than I can. When I ask them to do something or I ask them to be a part of something, and maybe they have two, three, four friends over. I actually just like to sit back and I like to just watch how they interact. Now, now, again, in all fairness, sometimes I'm not overly pleased 
because sometimes they'll be in a room for four hours and they'll never look at each other once. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is where we're going. Okay. But I love to see the interaction on how they solve problems. And I love to see the interaction on technology or, or, you know, platforms or how they use it to communicate is always fascinating for me. So I, even in that situation, I never count myself as, as the smartest person in the room. And quite frankly, I don't ever want to be the smartest person in the room because then I don't have very much to learn. So I think that that's brilliant. My last question for you, Paul, is tell me one thing that's a key piece to an effective, difficult negotiation. I'm going to say two, if that's okay. Consistency is the first, that you have to, whatever way you, you have to turn up exactly the same way. You can't blow hot and cold. If you're going to show up, show up. If you're not going to do it, don't bother. You're only going to let yourself down. And so that for me is always important. In negotiation, the second thing is write it down before you leave the room. Otherwise, you're going to be up negotiating what you thought you negotiated in the first place. I used to play that as a as a role play to my business students. And we do this negotiation for an hour. And I, OK, and then we go and they go, go for go for coffee. I get them then to write down on a whiteboard what they thought they had negotiated. And the list never, ever, ever match. I said, that is because you didn't write it down, nail that point before you moved on to the next. You were too focused on the destination. You didn't spend the time on the important thing, which is actually the journey to that destination. Well, and not only that, Paul, but here's the other thing. You make such a great point that it, that it just triggered my memory. Using the same dictionary in an effective negotiation is paramount. So just like you said, what you think you did and what actually happened is so different depending on what side of the table that you're on. And I can't tell you to, again, exactly to your point, Paul, that's never been right. So somebody always walks away and they're like, oh, it's this. And then the other person's like, oh, no, it's this. And you're, you're both in the same room for the same amount of time, sharing the same resources. Like this is completely crazy, but it really goes to pushing your own agenda, what you're there to get and receive from the meeting. And so I think writing it down and saying, you know, like my kind of catchphrase is, was this your understanding and doing the slide across the table? And then if it's not, please feel free to add or delete anything before we get up, before we walk away. So there's no surprises, which will take you back to the negotiating table with people a lot more irritated and annoyed and not really ready to kind of put their best foot forward. And it's expensive because people will go, haven't we done this already? And when you're in a crisis situation or it's a really important thing, you don't want to revisit that. You don't want, you want to do it once it's done, resolved or next point. Absolutely. Paul, thank you so much. I hope this added some value to you. You are amazing as usual. And I really just appreciate you taking the time to um, to show up and, and help me talk about obstacles and opportunities and how we spin it in our own lives. So thank you so much. Thank you. It's a pleasure. And uh, I love what you do. So just keep doing it. I, I listen regularly to the show. So keep going. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Spin It. If you enjoyed listening, don't forget to hit the subscribe button to be notified when a new episode is released. The best way to support the show is to leave me a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. And if you want to hear more from me, hop over to Instagram and follow me at Stephanie Malik. That's Stephanie with a Y, S-T-E-P-H 
Y-N-I-E Malik, M-A-L-I-K, or visit my website at stephaniemalik.com.